Welcome, everyone, to the 451 Degrees podcast, the all censorship topics podcast for uh, the Unsafe Space Network. Today, we are going to be talking about internal censorship and tech censorship involved in uh, writing. And joining me today is Ben. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks. So why don't you tell the audience a bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I am a writer. I think that's what really brings me on here first. I've written four novels, a bunch of short stories, uh, other kind of just musings, political things, satirical pieces. Uh, I also co-host a podcast uh, called The Reckless Musecast, where we discuss all sorts of topics with art and culture. Censorship is a big one. Um, it's kind of about dangerous artists and uh, podcasts that you appeared on yourself. <laughs> and uh, and lastly, I guess I'm uh, I'm also a legal services attorney. I think that's a um, like a really nice like addition to all that because yeah. I feel like a, a lot of writers don't know um, their rights legally. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like that that's always helpful. But um, so we're talking today about tech censorship and self-censorship. So it used to sure. be like there's two um, big articles that they like to teach uh, to writing students because I went to grad school for writing and um, especially like with how focused they are on women in writing. These two topics are big, but to me, I'm sort of like they're out of date at this point. One is... Okay. Uh, Virginia Woolf talking about killing uh, the angel in the attic because yeah. um, women had this idea that they couldn't talk about certain subjects in their writing because they had to appear nice or demure or whatever, you know, you would be a good sure. girl. And then yeah. Erica Jean also wrote about that uh, in something called My Grandmother on the Shoulder. And so I went to grad school in the late, 20 uh you know the early 2010s so to me i was sort of like i don't really have that voice in my head telling me that i have to be nice or anything like that yeah. so I, I i'm like i don't know what you're talking about when it comes to that i do think a broader audience has of writers has that voice in their head though these days but it's it's the voice telling them that they can't talk about certain subjects you know sure yeah, it's like the uh, I don't know if we talked about this on uh, when you were on the uh, on our show, but it's like, you know, the horseshoe kind of theory or, you know, sometimes you go so far left, you go right or so far right, you left, however you want to phrase it. Um, but it is this like there was this moment where a kind of everything was up for grabs. Maybe it was around that time, the really the 2000s, I feel like as PC culture really start taking off. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, I think. And that all came from the, the critical studies from like the 60s and 70s. And then there's sort of a backlash with the speech codes. And uh, I felt like everyone could kind of explore and say what they wanted to. And now it's gotten to the point where it's become so, in a way, open and diverse that now you have to start kind of sticking to your lane in a way where um, some fantastic writings have come from people writing other characters that don't directly reflect their demographic. 
um, whether it's Siddhartha or um, Gilead or, uh, you know, it, there's 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 so many to count that. Um, but it's like, well, if you're not a let's say you want to write a story about a gay black man, um, you have to be that. It's not just enough that you're a black man or that you're a gay man or that or whatever it is. And we're seeing that. And and I think a lot of writers start like cannibalizing each other. I think that is a larger product of just writers. I don't know if you saw my tweet today. I know we follow Twitter, but like writers are just like the worst people in the world. Um, and, and of course I'm being hyperbolic, but I put them right above Al Qaeda, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that comes from the, the bad art friend. Did you read this piece in the New York times? No, I missed it. So, but, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I won't go into it too much right now, but basically it's just like writers are just some of the most conniving people out there. Um, and I think now it's for this reason, it's like trying to catch someone from diverging from, you know, what they're supposed to write. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Well, and I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because there's that own voices, um, yes, yes. Um, yeah, we talked like, about that on the first episode of our show. That's yeah. a big, like, uh, like YA thing. Yeah, it is mostly, oh. mostly, yeah. but yeah, own voices is so annoying because it's sort of like, stay, it is a stay in your lane. You it's can't talk about, lane. you can't write about that. And it's, it, it's honestly terrible because to me, I'm sort of like, you can write anything you can get away with that you can do authentically that you can do well. Sure. Like it doesn't fucking sure. matter. <laughs> who you are or whatever like it shouldn't it shouldn't matter so so a lot of writers are censoring themselves right now like can i write that and it's like um if you even have to ask the question the answer is probably no they won't let you write it and uh and and a big part of that problem actually means that i i feel like white males are end up like not being allowed to write anymore because like well we're not we don't want to hear your stories anymore because we've heard your stories which is an absolute bullshit (laughs) thing to say uh but you can't write anyone else's story because then you're like appropriating and taking up space or whatever the bullshit thing is (laughs) yeah there is this kind of two-pronged uh attack that you did just lay out where it's like well we've heard your stories so we don't want to hear them anymore plus you can't write anyone else's stories um so you know i I don't know uh, well the way i just phrased it i I don't think you it's not like writing someone else's story necessarily because no one is going to write the same story but it's like well you can't touch a topic or you can't touch something because of how you identify like whatever your identity is as a writer and to me, it's like, why would we suppress art? Like, why would we stop stories from being out there? What I always say is, well, so first of all, I don't, I think what you're referring to, I agree with in the sense of like publishing, like publishers and editor. I don't go through any of that. I, I refuse to have some publisher tell me my story either is going to one, maybe offend someone or two, not be marketable because I don't care. I want to write the stories I want to write. So that's why I'm, I'm independent. Um, I use professional services. I have professional editors and um, uh, book cover design, like all of that. I, I, I do that well, but I write exactly what I want to write and put it out there. And then you let the market decide. Uh, what I always say is, you know, my first book, I have uh, a couple of characters. One of them's a Algerian Muslim man. 
and I'm not a Nigerian, uh, Algerian Muslim. And maybe, and I did my research and I like to believe it, it's a well-written character, but maybe if someone read that from that culture and background, they might say, well, this is inauthentic. Well, that's on me then. And that's fine. And you can criticize it, but you don't censor it. Like that's the difference is it's not, you don't pull it off the shelves because the writer is this and the character's that. It's okay. Well, one, you don't have to read it. And the only time you have to read something is maybe like it's assigned to you in school. You don't, but you know, that aside, aside from that, you don't have to read it and you can criticize it. That's the beauty of, of the market. You can say, well, this character isn't authentically written. You shouldn't read this book. And if the person hears that and goes, oh, sure. Okay, fine. But if not, you know, they're like, all right, whatever. Well, I want to read it anyway because it interests me. That's fine. That, that's fine too. But it shouldn't be, well, we literally can't put this on a page and sell it because of who you are and what you wrote. Well, that like, where does it go from there? That's not, that's not the sign of a, of a free society. No, it's not. And at the same time, even if you do have the right identity to touch a topic, mm-hmm. you have to talk about it in a certain way. Sure. In yeah. your writing. So then, like, even then you can't say certain things, which is really uh, insidious because it turns it turns I, most of the literature I've read, the contemporary novels that came out of the lit world from the traditional publishing in the last few years has been absolute drivel. Like, mm-hmm honestly really bad writing like there's no plot for one it's like how i i mean it seems basic to me (laughs) so the the work all just goes nowhere except for the fact that they're hitting all the right notes for the the sacred narrative that we have to hit and i'm I'm not willing to do that bullshit because for first of all i think that writing any kind of art form needs to push boundaries Mm-hmm. And that means pushing back against generally like really well-supported ideas in society. Like you need to question things. That's what it yeah. should be doing. But if you're, if you're worried that you're not going to get published because you're questioning the things they don't want you to question, then you're not really a writer at that point. You're just, you're just, you know, producing agitprop essentially and um, and that that creates really bad writing. It's just, you, you can't be uh, dedicated to your craft in that way. Um, so to me, I, I feel like we're we've diluted uh, the novel so horrifically lately. And um, it, I, I have a very hard time reading contemporary novels at this point. And I'm just like, I'm going to go back to the 70s just <laughs> to yeah. read novels. Right. So. I'm not one really to, I, I don't keep up with contemporary literature. Like if a book looks interesting, I have a, you know, a, like most writers and even if you're not writer readers, I have a list of probably like 120 books right now that I just, every time I buy one, I end up adding something else and whatever it could be, it could come out, you know, it could come out last week. It could be a book from the fifties. I don't know, but I just kind of pick and choose off of that. So I don't know really like I don't follow the contemporary um, literary world. What I do notice, one, is that either men, and especially white men, have stopped writing or their books aren't being put out there. Because I I follow Publishers Weekly um, and others. So, And like every time there's new books, 
you know, out of 10 people, one might be a, a white guy. Um, I get that there is this, in, but at the same time, if there's interest in the market for diverse books, that that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But are they being kind of propped up in in lieu of other books because, or, or in lieu of like substance, which if you're a contemporary reader, unlike I am, that kind of sounds like the complaint you're having. Um, that no, it's just all these stories do, you know, a lot of these stories do just sound the same. They're the immigrant story or the minority story that is like, it's either uh, uh, fighting back against the system of oppression that either does or doesn't exist. In some cases, I think it does. In others, I, I don't believe so. Or it's, um, you know, the, the kind of, well, for years, there was a lot of white savior type of books. And now it's like a backlash to that. Um, so that I, I, I do notice. I, I notice that the vast majority of the time, um, uh, you know, but if that's what I, I don't know, like, I don't know what the sales are for these types of books. I think people are generally reading less. Uh, I don't know if that's statistically true. Uh, I think that maybe some people are fed up with the kind of contemporary um, literary world. So the market has to change to that, um, which I don't know if that really matters because a lot of writers like, besides a select few, they're not really making their living off of their books. They're publishing a book, they're getting an advance and they're usually giving talks, they're teaching workshops or have professorships, which those are dwindling too. Um, so like, does it matter anymore? And unfortunately the answer might be, no, it doesn't matter. And that's, that, that just means that like, you're really selling an identity and not good writing. I kind of look at this, I kind of, equivocate this to um like snl which used to really push boundaries and, and their comedy used to kind of rip on everyone and now instead of like laughing or gasping because something is um is provocative or really funny it's more of that affirmation clap you, you know what i mean it's like yeah. yes you're like you're saying the thing we want you to say as the overwhelmingly like educated white liberal coastal elite type right and that's who they're tailored to and it's not like haha that's so funny or ooh that's like kind of dangerous and like you know that it's yes you're you're saying the thing i like and i'm going to support that and you keep feeding me that and i'm going to keep clapping like and i maybe that's happening also in the literary world i i don't know for sure actually I likened it at one point to the idea and cause you're talking about like they're essentially selling an identity. Yeah. I liken it kind of to the, in the past when there would be black performers mm -hmm. for entirely white audiences mm -hmm. and black people weren't allowed into the audience, but it kind yeah. of feels like that. Like it's, it's basically uh, they're selling an identity to like make themselves feel better, but not actually doing anything about the issues they seemed they pretend to care about in yeah. any kind of real way. Um, and also, it, I'm when you look at who's getting published, especially the debut authors, which I paid a lot of attention to, they're all yeah. people who went to a program that they knew somebody, and that's how they ended up getting their debut novel deal through mm -hmm. the traditional publishing route. So it's almost impossible yeah. to break into it now without yeah. that networking 
And some of it is just like really pathetic who they know. And um, it, I don't, to bring up a memoir, there's a memoir of a woman who I'm re- I read, I read half of it before I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like this is so pretentious okay. and so narcissistic. <laughs> I can't keep going. Yeah, I'll say it. It was um, Vaughn lived the tribe of fatherless girls. And it's so weird too, because she had yeah. fucked her father in it. And <laughs> she fucked her father? No, she had a father. I was just being oh, oh, oh. profane. But oh. so when she had a father and she was saying she's a fatherless girl, I was like, I don't I don't understand what your point is. Oh, I can't oh, I see, read I see, I see. the entire bullshit that you're yeah. making wanting me to read because, partially because she was so damn rich. And she was like going on about how mm-hmm. she was socially unaccepted by people by her peers and i was and and i was like i wasn't as a kid either like i you know i didn't have a lot of friends when i was young um but when i went home i didn't ride my own personal horses to get over it <laughs> right <laughs> my know, that's, well that's what's you're touching on this thing that I, I bring up all the time on my show and it's like and to kind of bring it back to the to the new york times article like the identity it's to me the class identity is so much more important and telling of your success and real like real struggle and even oppression than all these other ones like race and religion and gender and it's like this woman who basically got i i think i mean I guess I have to go into some detail about it. Now, but like basically the, she accused another writer of plagiarism and she grew up like dirt poor in Iowa, like very, you know, living off of welfare and really, it was like really terrible conditions. And she overcame all of that. And her peer who, in my opinion, plagiarized her, that's not necessarily a legal opinion. I, and I know lawyers are involved, but even if she didn't, you know, just a huge asshole, like a, just a, like just a terrible, no, and like during discovery of the lawsuit tech, like emails came out, just really horrible stuff. And then she hides behind her, her identity as a mixed race, half white, half Asian person. It's like, she's the victim or she's the oppressed. And I'm like, when, what world? And I think she grew up like very upper middle class or something like in an, in a, an entirely like white town. I'm sure I'm sure she dealt with some bullying and some stuff there in Minnesota. But like in what world is that the oppressed, like the person who is being conniving and uh, potentially plagiarizing a peer who overcame like dirt poor poverty and it's like, well, there's well, because racism, like that's just what it always devolves to. It's like, well, but, but racism, I'm like, but that's not an argument. That's not like, that's not what's going on here. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing the whole story justice, but um, I think that is what, you know, is going on with a lot of this, a lot of this stuff. It's the same kind of, well, I'm this, so you just have to take everything I say at face value and you can't question anything, right? And bringing it back to the memoir, it's like, it doesn't matter that she grew up fabulously wealthy, this person, 
who probably had every advantage outside of being a man, but besides that had every other advantage and she's oppressed. And I'm like that. No, that's not. And I see this. I, I mean, in my work, like so I'm a legal services attorney. So I see lots of indigent, poor, lower middle class people of all races who have the same problems. Doesn't matter what race they are. They have the same problems with drugs and handling money and uh, just getting dealt a terrible hand. And it drives me crazy. We're like some because, you know, they might be of a certain race where another race grew up fabulously wealthy, but they're the oppressed because of their skin color. I'm like, that's not, that's just like not based in fact. No, Um, it's not. Well, I mean, a lot of it is a shield to protect class um, because class never mm -hmm. comes into it ever. So uh, there's, that's a really good way of people who are middle class and upper middle class to protect themselves from uh, being told they're being, unethical or breaking the law and it's education has one of the biggest parts to do i mean we saw this with the wherever you fall on this issue like the defund the police abolish the police issue it was like overwhelmingly educated progressive white people who live in neighborhoods that don't need the police like a lot of these other neighborhoods do and they think they're saying the right fun thing They're, they're saying the fun thing they think they're on the right side of history and then when you look at polls and you look at these cities that either did defund the police. Um, and I have my own issues with, with police, but you know, the statistics didn't lie that they faced spikes in violence that they have to put up with the people in these neighborhoods of yeah. these races and you, and because you're from Columbia or NYU or USC or whatever it is, Stanford, and you go around and you're saying these things and you retreat to your cul-de-sacs. It's like, or, or your, or your luxury condos in the city um, you know, you don't deal with those repercussions like these other people do. And I think that's, it's kind of the same concept. It's like, it's so much more about, but, and they're only saying that because of, of race. They're not saying, you know, defund the police because they're abusing trailer, you know, people grew up in trailers in, um, Appalachia. Uh, it's because of this perception that, um, you know, racial minorities are being slaughtered by the police, which is also just untrue. Um, but it, it's it's fun for them. It's fun for them to say this and then not deal with the repercussions. And now all these cities are refunding their police and all of that. Yeah. And it's it's you know, it's like, well, we told you so. Um, I know, like any like any moron could have seen this coming. Like I don't know, you were deluding yourselves. <laughs> yeah, I know. We tried it. It's. <laughs> But to bring it back to writing a bit, so you suggest, because this is the route you went, um, Mm self-publishing, using the apparatus, like uh, like how people use YouTube to create, and those kinds of platforms to create podcasts, using uh, self-publishing as a way of getting... your work out there as a writer, if you're not doing the narrative. So like, can you give writers uh, who want to go that way? Some like advice, like sure. how they can do this. Definitely. So um, one, you know, the, the benefits to self-publishing there, they exist. Definitely. Um, it, it can be costly. So why not to save your money and put it in a fund for self-publishing? Because what you don't want to do, is cut corners and not hire editors or 
hire a professional book cover designer or something like that. Um, so you, and you, you do have to pay for that in self-publishing, unlike a traditional publisher who takes care of all those costs, pays you in advance. If you're lucky, sometimes they don't even do that, um, pays you in advance. And then you make money kind of more in bulk, depending on some sales or self-publishing. It's all just about like the sales you handle the marketing unless you hire someone to do it. So my advice would be, uh, write all the time, right? Every day, if you can put out the best product you can revise with, uh, at least one editor. I use two. So I go through, so for novels, I, I should say every book I write, I write a, I write a first draft, I print it and, uh, hand edit first. Then I go in and make those edits back into, you know, my computer. Then I send that to my editor for what's called a beta read, which is more about plot, character development, pacing, tone, those sorts of things. Uh, then it comes back. We make those changes. We talk about it. You know, it's a whole, it's, it's a big process. It's, it's, uh, she gives me um, notes and outlines and all of these sorts of things and what works, what doesn't work. I gotta imagine you have to have a good relationship with that person, like be on the same page, um, like what you expect out of the novel and stuff like that. Absolutely. One, because as any writer knows, the your work is, you know, your your, your child in a way. It's it's just probably because you put sometimes sweat and tears, maybe blood. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing when you're writing, but uh yeah, it, it, but it's a lot, you know, you spend or I'll, you know, I'll only speak for myself. Sometimes I write instead of going out. Sometimes I, I would write instead of watching that movie or, um, you know, meeting up with that for that drink or whatever it is. And you do sacrifice something. Oh, and it, again, because I moonlight as a writer, right? It's not my, yeah. my job. I, no, I, I get it. I'm the same way. I, yeah, I, it's not my which day is job. Most, which is the vast, yeah. which is the vast majority. To be honest, it's probably the better route to go to get a steady income, something that, you know, it's also fulfilling. Um, you should definitely want to do that. And then being, it, it opens up a little more freedom with your writing too, because you don't have to write the marketable thing, which could be boring and stale. You can write whatever you want. Um, and to be honest, there's usually a market for everyone. Uh, depending on what you're writing. So, so, so to answer your question, uh, yes, I have an excellent relationship with, uh, my editor. Uh, so, so one of them does kind of the vast majority of, it, and then the other is more of the proofreader. So I'll have a good relationship with her. Also the, the first, my first editor who does the first couple phases, I have an excellent re relationship with, I've used both of them for all four of my novels. Um, and she, knows me knows my work um you know we because uh, it, it can be sometimes which like well you have to cut this or this isn't working and you want to be on a good relationship with someone like that um so then so after the beta then it's the line edit that's like the big one that's about grammar and um you know really this is the where the editor puts in the most work also, but you put in the most work too. And this is really the biggest part of your book. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of grammar, uh, again, going through what changes you made in that first revision. Then lastly is the proofread, which is just grammar. Um, you're not changing any plot and anything in the plot or character development or anything like that at this point. And then it comes out. So 
for writers, I would advise you to, to go through these steps. Um, you don't always have to, as in like, it's not like if you find an editor, you say, well, you have to do these. I would still do it. Um, definitely. They catch things. If your editor is any good, which I would hope they would be, they catch things that you wouldn't even know. Um, even after the third time, I had a character whose name I accidentally changed about <laughs> three quarters of the way through a book once. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that. Oh, from- and speaking of that, I saw that happen in the Dresden Files. A character was renamed from one book to the next. And I was like, oh, really? wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, so I mean, that's not good. I mean, I caught this before the book yeah, published. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, or that's she or she caught deal. it. Yeah. After the first draft, it, I think it went from, it was like Clyde to Calvin or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. But like, she's like, is this this guy? I'm like, oh my God, it is. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you got that. Uh, so, um, yeah. So that's the biggest, right? Because that is your, those are your words, right? So you want to, do yourself a favor and spend the money and time and effort and on this part of it. You're not, I mean, I admittedly am not good with grammar. Um, there's never my strong suit. I'm good at writing and creating characters and plots and stories and those things, not grammar. Um, even if you think you're good though, just having a separate set of eyes is necessary to, uh, to put, to put a book out there. Then, um, you know, after that, that's the most important part. After that, it's really up to you on your distribution. I use a company called Book Baby. Uh, I only can speak to their distribution and their formatting because, right, so that's another part, formatting. I use them to format because they're the ones who print my books, put them out. I have print on demand. So you could go on right now and order it and it would they'd print if you ordered one copy they print one copy send out that's nice it, it's unlike traditional publishing or even traditional self-publishing you know it's kind of oxymoron but old school self-publishing i should say you used to have to like just order a ton of books and mm-hmm. put them in a garage or something that's not the case anymore which is really nice uh and of course there's ebooks right i i all my yeah, books are available definitely. on ebooks too you have to do that i personally don't read ebooks but don't cut yourself off, off from that market i've i, I have readers what I exclusively read. And it's, it's yeah. really because of my horrible eyesight. The the large okay. book essentially went away when ebooks Oh, did it? Yeah. Okay, okay, it yeah. Almost entirely. Like it's it's almost completely gone at this point because yeah. e-readers replaced it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have, I have readers in Brazil and Japan and Australia and South Africa and you can't, it's, it'd be much harder to do that if you didn't have ebooks. So you definitely want to have that option too. Um, book cover. I, I used a couple different book cover designers. Um, I would have used the same one again for my last book if uh, she wasn't so busy, but I like the guy I had, she was just like, well, I can't get to this, you know, for a year. I'm like, oh, okay. I gotta find someone else then. But uh, you know, you can find them pretty easily. I would definitely spend the money on that too, uh, because if your book doesn't look legit, people will just a lot of times skip over it. So you don't want to sell mm-hmm. yourself short. You put the time, you put the time in and the effort to write the write the book, to revise it probably three four times. Don't you know sell yourself short on potentially a couple, a few hundred bucks to just have people go, oh, that doesn't look very professional. What's going to be inside? I'm not going to spend 
10 to 20 hours reading it if it doesn't look you know good to the eye so yeah um, of course you know the saying that if you look up like any book cover <laughs> uh should i get book cover the first sentence of all of these blogs will always be they say uh, don't judge a book by its cover but actually everyone does which is very true um, well i mean they used to say that before we had dust jackets on books and that, then yeah right, right. <laughs> so it doesn't apply right. anymore yeah i mean it basically stopped applying during the art deco period when they started mm. putting art on the books Right. After, after that, it's like it doesn't exist anymore. Which if you want to talk about one thing, so I don't read a lot of contemporary literature. Not that I'm a, I, if I like I have a, I think, newer books on my list, too. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Put it on. But is it just me? It's like every single book cover looks the exact same now. I know. It's they all look the same. Crazy. It's so all just like it's like bright, right? It's like bright colors and script or, or um, you know, just text for the most for the most of but, it. Oh, usually, like evenly yeah. spaced throughout yeah. the entire they, cover. It'll be like yeah. purple and pink or green and blue, like very bright kind of um, pastel colors. A lot of them, like they all just look the exact same. Every single book. I know. I said uh, that Disney was clearly hiring the same people to do their posters every time because yeah. there were all these like um, radial designs or by, yeah. by designs that like, were mirrors and i and then i realized and then i started looking at book covers and i was like the same four freaking art styles are thing. in all books i know <laughs> I, I noticed that. i'm like these all just look the exact same um it's frustrating it, yeah i miss <laughs> the old i love the old like really intricate covers like sci-fi novels and horror novels mm -hmm. and stuff like that they're uh they're fun it's like real art on the on the cover yeah Mm. Uh, I, I, I also want to talk though about, um, uh, what writing program people use because so Microsoft word is like one of the biggest market yeah. shares when it comes to word processing. Now yeah. I discovered recently that they have a sensitivity set setting now. What? Yeah. What do you mean? So there's what in one of the sections, I think it's, uh, one of the tabs all the way to the right, it says sensitivity. On my version, it's grayed out. I can't change the sensitivity. Right next to it is dictate. S sensitivity. I know. Like, what What does that even mean? If you, I don't, I don't understand. Like certain words. Yeah. Like so the idea is, like, oh, you can type them. Like it'll let you type anything, but uh -huh. then it'll like squiddly line, you know, like your grammar or your spelling or whatever. And what say, what color is it? What I don't know. I have not, I've not seen it, <laughs> I, but I did test the, so that, you know, the dictate is right next to it. And, yeah. and I tested it. Uh, they have a profanity filter on the dictate. Oh my and gosh. so if I, if I write like Dr. Fauci is a lizard, will they like, <laughs> like, like a squiggly line under it. I was like, are you sure you want it right? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like I tested the profanity filter and I sent it to you in the Discord. And oh, is that what that was? That's what that oh, is. I was looking at that. I, I was like, what is she sending me? <laughs> yeah, I know. So it, I tried it okay. in English and I tried it in Spanish. Okay. Which okay. I'm not sure how good my Spanish pronunciation was. But if you look at the first section, which is dictated by Microsoft, which, by the way, this was kind of fun at the same time as being absolutely horrifying. Yeah. I know some writers do dictate, you know, to write uh, what because they they need that 
or they feel like that's the best way to start out when they write. I'm not one of them. I, I, I just actually type. But if you look at this file, you'll see that like, you can see what I wrote because I actually, uh, what I said, because I recorded myself as I said it mm -hmm. so that I could dictate it myself. Uh, because <laughs> when I got in there and it started, uh, it started actually censoring me, it would not was, write certain words. I, and, I checked mine. That is so wild. Like what? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I couldn't even remember all the words I said. And yeah, like, so if you look at it, it's kind of ridiculous because some of the words like the C word, which I do say, but I'm like, okay, I, I'll, I'll pull back a little bit for this, uh -huh. uh, for, for the sake of some of my audience members probably don't like it. But anyway, so I said that word like four times and it, and it didn't just, it didn't censor it. It didn't recognize it as a word as the word I was trying to say. So, so if I like use, a, would it have like a red line under it? What it would do, it would be like C-T-E. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Or what was the other, T-U-N-T. And I was like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And But then if I said the F word or the B yeah. word or like, you know, and I know I swore earlier on this, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean, I said asshole, I said shit, I said piss, I said yeah. all these words and it put asterisks for all of them. And then okay. I set the filter to Spanish uh -huh. and uh, said some Spanish words. Uh, uh, I said, hijo de puta mm -hmm. uh, and stuff like that. And it, it, it censored those too. And I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. And it, it, so at the end, all it says is you suck Microsoft. <laughs> <That one up. laughs> this is, yeah, I didn't, I had no idea about this. I don't, I don't think mine is set on that. Well, it because. kind of depends on how you get your license and you got to like the profanity filter on dictate is way stronger than the sensitivity filter I think is for typing. Okay. Um, so those of us who type are probably not going to see it as much, but um, I do it. This seeing this makes me want to use a different program. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I don't care. I don't yeah. care that like I didn't pay for this version of, Microsoft, I got it, and I got it legitimately. Not that I stole it or anything mm -hmm. like that, but I I got it legitimately for free. And I'm like, I don't want to use it if this is like the kind of crap they're going to pull. Yeah, it's so. I think we can tie this into so. So to answer your question, I, yeah, I use Word. I don't really know of any others, um, just because I've always used Word. If it's going to start like telling me I can't say certain words, that's a problem. I would never even think of that, even though I probably should have. Um, but I do think that there's this disturbing movement uh, that's undergoing about controlling w what people say, like controlling their speech. And it's a lot more, um, it's not like, yeah, there's always the kind of wild, maybe activist fringe or the student you know, kind of movements that do this, which is very overt and more easy to recognize. But I think like you're seeing it a lot of times online, like on Twitter or something um, where it's just like completely censoring thought. Um, or now I notice it with, so maybe it's not so much controlling speech, but definitely controlling thought. Like you notice it with the editorializing of like, 
things that are trending, for instance. Mm -hmm. It'll be like not just any, sometimes I'll just have the word, right? The topic. But a lot of times it'll be like, people are saying that (laughs) this is doing this. It's like, that's editorializing, which is what they claim not to be, right? They don't Mm -hmm. claim to be publishers. They claim to be this forum. Um, And, but that's not what they're doing. So, So I'm seeing that where it's like at right away, they're trying to, control and or frame a discussion in a way that maybe isn't completely genuine um and you're seeing this a lot with like it's getting out of control you i mean you see this all the time now and i I say because i know that we're both on twitter and it'll be like this has caused like this topic what was the new one like this topic has caused a lot of not outrage but (laughs) Like, have you seen this? It's like one of the new, cause it's like one of the new. I so avoid the topics because I. No, it's not even the topics. It'll just be like someone will share something. It'll be like, this conversation has caused. Oh God. This justice, but, but that (laughs) is what's happening. Or no, it was one, like one thing that I I didn't even really mind was like, like the whole retweet. Do you want to read the article first? Like, okay, fine. Like that, that doesn't really bother me. Um, that sometimes uh, one time it did to me, I'm like, I wrote this fucking article. Like I don't need it. <laughs> like, like I'm retweeting it. Cause someone else read it. Like I wrote, it. I don't need to read it. <laughs> but for others, for others, like they're, they're basically, they're expanding on that. It, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, this has been, you know, well, it started with the COVID thing. It's like, I, yeah. I put shit all the time up there. Like for instance, I, if I, what I just said earlier, if I type that on, let's say Instagram or Twitter, I wrote Dr. Fauci's a lizard, right? Which mm-hmm. many would like, I would argue is true, but fine. Let's say for argument's sake that it's objectively false. Um, then it'll have like a tag on it, like COVID. Yeah, we talked, COVID about, yeah. yeah we, we talked about that in the last episode, me and Caleb, that it was the, these algorithmic tags on yeah. uh, social media posts. Which are not going to objective sources, right? They're not no. going to- That's what I said. To, yeah, they're You're, going to certain sources that are deemed appropriate, which over time, those have changed. For instance, if you talked about the lab leak theory this time last year, you would be called a conspiracy theorist and that would redirect you. It would have at least a tag. It doesn't mean that you couldn't necessarily say it. Sometimes that was true, but it'd be a tag kind of diverting the potential reader from that because well, that said- wasn't acceptable. Yeah. I said that like if you do that enough times on certain social medias, they will ban you. Like if you get tagged enough, like mm-hmm. it will, you will eventually yeah. get back uh, banned. Unfortunately, yeah. um, so to me, I'm sort of like that's like a preemptive. Like they're they're gathering their evidence essentially to eventually yeah. censor you for real. Um, what? Uh, but like to bring it back to um, the idea, like so the fact that like, okay, so it's bad enough that when we are just having a conversation on social media, we're getting all these tags, but then to be one-on-one with your computer program, you know, word is not a social program. Word is a a private utility. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a private workspace for you to write and for them to be telling you, like it, it was bad enough in the past when when they said that women couldn't, you know, like get the voice out of their head or whatever. And we have the voice of the woke in our head, some of us, mm. or mm. what the publishers will allow us to say or whatever. Mm. But now it's 
it's literally in our word processing programs. And it's like, that's, that's even worse than it being in your head in my, in my mind, because like, if it's in your head, you can control it. You can, you know, basically go, no, shut up. You know, that stupid part of my brain, but it's not in your head. It's literally in the program. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I just, don't I just didn't realize this was happening so I'd have to test it but I mean it's only going to get to the point where right now it's like it's so fuck it always goes back to like the same shit because like now I'm thinking of like Carlin's seven dirty words right it was like he did that I think Mm -hmm. it was like he did that to prove a point and now it's like we've forgotten all that we've gotten so because it was like there was this pushback against really what was at the time a lot more of like conservative censorship it was like those were Mm -hmm. the ones who you that the conservatives and the republicans they used to be the censors and and there's so much pushback against that and it came so normalized you could say what you wanted to say and hit certain topics and now it's you know gone so far left and that's horseshoeing back to censorship where it's like certain right now it's certain words Apparently, I, I, I haven't done this, but soon it's going to be like you can't type certain thoughts. Like, it's only yeah. going to get better. It's only going. And I know maybe people are like, well, that's so conspiracy theory, like far fetched. Like, no, it's only the, the tech and the eventual eventual AI is only get stronger. Where it's like if you're writing potentially it could be like, oh, you're writing an article it recognizes that you're writing about such and such taboo topic, which probably wouldn't shouldn't even be taboo because the vast majority of topics should not be taboo but you're writing about this topic we're not going to let you even get it onto our program because we're a private company and we can do that like all this stuff it's like oh we don't want you and it always defaults to just inarticulable and uh kind of really broad arguments like well it's hate speech well, like, yeah. how do you how do you argue with that? Like, well, no, it's not. Or, or oh, no, it's racist. Well, you know, those are just non sequiturs for reason and debate. Like, you can't if you're just going to well, say something's hate speech. Then even if it was, if you, even if you could prove that it was hate speech, why is it wrong for someone to? Why is it okay for someone else to tell them they can't say it? Like that they can't write it in a word program well, to no one. Well, you're right, and and. The, <laughs> People don't realize, and I'll put on my lawyer hat here. Hate speech is allowed. Like the constant, like it's not. Maybe in some other countries, it's not. But in this country, hate speech is allowed. And why is that? And people hear that and they recoil. And well, it's because what you consider hate speech might not be hate speech to someone else, and vice versa. Like that's the point. It's not about protecting language and speech that you're cool with. It's about protecting speech that you dislike, because yes. we have diversity of opinions and thought here. And um that's a beautiful thing and you're supposed to fight speech you don't like with better speech that's the whole point and when you start picking a side or you start you know trying to censor other sides one the speech doesn't go away um the thoughts actually even if they're you know let's say let's let's always because it always fucking devolves to nazism let's talk about nazism because it always does um uh even even in that like so first of all those thoughts aren't going away those ideas aren't going away as much as you want to try and hide them um the best thing to do is to fight them with better speech show the obvious um holes in in the logic in the the horrible like the obvious um problems with it not well you can't say it be just because and that only kind of makes it more attractive to a, a certain group of people. Yes. Um, so you're really actually doing a disservice to the, the 
goal you're trying to to reach. Um, yeah, there was a comic book recently where um, instead of writing the words, the, the the bubble said something like hate speech or white nationalist comments and stuff like that. And it was like, that is, and they're like, this way they're not platforming the ideas. And I'm like, all you're doing oh is making your comic book look so damn cowardly and uncool. It's like nerdy at that point. And not nerdy yeah. in the old way. <laughs> the old, no, like, it's, it's so know. like, but that is where, like that, obviously that upsets me, but it doesn't surprise me. That's like, so, but eventually people are going to be like, yeah, but now I want to know like, why would I care about my hero trying to stop this if I don't even know what it is? Exactly. Like, it's a hate speech. So nebulous. White supremacy is so nebulous. Now it doesn't mean what it actually means. Like, no. like Larry, Larry Elder. Like, yes, yes. That, I was just, I was just, yes. <laughs> white supremacy died when the LA Times or whatever it was put like Larry Elder, the blackface of white supremacy. Like white supremacy is gone now. Like you can't, <laughs> it's not like you can't do that and, and expect uh, anyone to take it seriously, which is a shame because no, there is real white supremacy in some space. Like it, it, it absolutely does exist. Not the way that the, you know, cathedral well, media wants you to, but it's not Larry Elder, no. <laughs> a black man. Like that's not, so you it lose just like Nazi, just like fascism, just like even communism and these things, they, they've lost all meaning because well, people I just throw them around. Yeah, I say it's the boy who cried wolf. They all need to read that short story. You yeah, know, and there's a reason that those story stories again. Yeah, there's a reason that those fables and stories exist. Why we still read the ancient Greeks and Shakespeare and stuff, because yeah. the same issues keep coming up and people yep. keep making the same fucking mistakes. Sorry, <laughs> I, I I'm allowed to I've, I know I've been swearing. You can swear. Okay, swear. okay, I wasn't sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I I agree with that. Like I've read this. Uh, I, I've mentioned this before, but I read a uh, a biography about uh, Swift, and it was so annoying mm-hmm. to see all the political machinations and the social shit, and then it's all the same problems and i'm like this never ends i'm like this is like long before obviously postmodernism was a thing and social justice was ever mentioned and i'm like god it's well it's an inescapable problem of this bs and 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 i i i 100 agree with the fact that by by not actually addressing the arguments not fighting mm. bad speech with good speech you are just doing the bad speech a favor well here, <laughs> and, and, I, and i here's a good example i just looked so this word here's the mm-hmm. so dixie dixie beer this was a um this is a new orleans beer uh company that was one of my favorites and they fell victim to the great awakening of 2020 mm-hmm. um where dixie which just meant the south Right. Yeah. And actually, in the New Orleans context, because of the French background, a Dixie, well, it's in the French way, meant like a $10 note, right? Or mm. a, 10, a 10. So that's why the beer company and Dixie means it's a huge swath of our country, you know, down in Dixie. And for some people, maybe that means white nationalism and Confederacy and whatever, but it's also just geographic. And it's clearly yeah. not what this beer company is promoting. But they had to change the name because racism right that like that's always always devolves to and mm-hmm. it's been around for like over 100 years or something like that and they changed the name just at the, you know at the drop of a hat during the great awakening because the word is bad 
right? It doesn't matter that it's it's a they don't have a big Confederate flag and you know a bunch of slave owners. No, it's fucking beer. <laughs> but but the word which no one gives a shit about, right? Like no one really cared. Um, people of all races down in New Orleans and the South have been drinking this beer since like 1907 or something like that. Yeah, and no one gave a shit until you know this is why and this is why you know it's not revelatory to say now but like this, this is all religion right it's just the signs are it's almost too obvious of a comparison to make to like the early american our early american history again history repeats itself we don't learn from the shit like the same kind of the same kind of things it's like well the word is bad the thing doesn't matter about the substance of it, it it's it's like the existence of it it's um I actually talked about yeah. yeah, I actually talked about the de-evolution of words in when I taught at mm-hmm. a university, and I taught mm-hmm. this to freshmen because I taught in a, a personal essay called "On Being a Cripple," and it was written by a woman who was uh, handicapped, and she said, "I prefer the word cripple, and this is why." And yeah. I was like, "Okay, let's go through like a bunch of different okay. words." Yeah. For, that have that were acceptable that became unacceptable. My biggest one that I go through <clears throat> is the mentally handicapped evolution, which mm-hmm. is like idiot and moron are on there too. And I said, and and it's rapid. It becomes more. It, it speeds up sure. over time. The because we went from retarded to mentally handicapped, yeah. and now and mentally handicapped is already being used as an insult and you can't stop that yeah what you can't you can't prevent people from co-opting it for an insult it's never going to stop yes and i i think language is why i'm always arguing like our words matter right like language matters and there's a few different reasons for this one is what what you're getting at um is that it, it well it's like certain words, and this came out a lot, I think, in the last kind of two years, they're like shibboleths for wh- where are you? Like, how educated are you? What side do you want? And this is one of them. A lot of these words do have to do with things like race and um, disability and religion and kind of these super, I, and of course, the extreme of this are the LGBT um, kind of alphabet uh, terms, right? Uh, and it's like, well, if you're not using the right one, then you're at worst ignorant no excuse me at best ignorant at worst like a bigot right mm-hmm. and this is one and i i've seen so one of the biggest ones now in the media is latinx right um mm-hmm. i know from a bunch of p- people on every poll shows and my co-host who is uh, of a mexican background cannot stand this term because it's made by a bunch of white progressives in ivory towers and they t- yeah. are telling which is like literally fucking imperialism like they always bitch about imperialism this is like you're changing their language uh and what they're called gendered language (laughs) yes where where it's like yeah in that language they have genders a lot of languages do a lot don't Mm -hmm. right but the romance languages have genders for things a chair has a gender i don't know why but it does like it, it just does it's how their language works and for you to come and like change that because of these extremely um you know because of this one kind of strain of an extremely progressive view is that's fucking imperialism, like it, new age imperialism, I should say. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, and I think this, I think that's what you're getting at too, is when, and it's always changing. And so you always have to keep up. And I've seen it actually play out where people who are trying to do the right thing. Like I, I remember this was back in like 20, 2013. Uh, I was uh, in a, uh, I was uh, in Spain during my orientation. I worked as a teacher there for a year and there was this guy and he was my roommate at, for this orientation before we all kind of left for our certain regions of Spain. And he's like a nice guy. He's like, Kyle, I went to that good school in the Midwest or whatever. And he called a, another girl in the group um, colored. Like, and people were like shocked. And he was, cause he was so hypersensitive about being, doing the right thing. Right. That he thought that was actually the right word to say, because like, I, cause I guess black had been so, um, you know, derided for, years to use african-american and i think he got confused and he used like an older term but trying to do the right thing and people like you know it's like a draw jaw-dropping moment because colored is very you know that fell out of fashion a very long time ago yeah. um so you kind of see where people get so confused where they end up like putting their foot in their mouth because they're just scared to say the wrong thing where they actually end up doing it well um, and i think it's kind of important there is an assault on the intent of people oh, it yeah. doesn't matter that your intent was good right. um and, and that's why we actually see an assault on a lot of older writing, like, oh, uh, you know, yeah. Uncle Tom's Cabin and uh, Huckleberry Finn, they're, they're bad yeah. because they use the N word. And it's like, Ugh, it, dry, it always <laughs> drove me crazy. It's like the point of these books is to I show know. Like, the horrors of slavery or like Uncle Tom's Cabin was a huge catalyst for the abolition movement. It was. And now you're huge. trying to like. That I mean, that's exactly the point I was I'm making with the Dixie is like it's not about the substance it's about the word itself which is yeah. very scary and I think you're seeing that too with like people it's like it doesn't matter that this is a good or bad person well what do they look like what's their race what's yeah. their gender what's their religion what are these things um, not like oh no they're actually complete fraudsters or grifters or they're pieces of shit who are conniving <laughs> and uh, just like nasty horrible people it's like yeah but she's mixed race asian american so you can't you can't you know question that like how yeah. how, how can you do that because she's oppressed like no that's not like that's not a fun that's not how society can function it, no, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense and it kind of goes against everything i've been taught for years and years about the, the martin luther king's you know um uh comment that always comes up you know don't judge on color of character, but on content of your or color, color of skin, the content of character, right? Everyone knows. Yeah. That, except for me. Uh, so, um, you got there. But yeah, I got there. But it's like the, it's like the opposite is going on. It's like, well, first you start where what is the color of skin or gender or religion? Or, and I think actually gender is becoming the new Mm-hmm. most joe and i talk a lot about um the gender the, identity specifically. gender identity yeah and, yeah and joe and i talk a lot about the victimization pyramid which i don't think should exist um no. and if it does exist it's solely based on class and resources right not on and any of this other crap but that's mm-hmm. become the new one and i think the best example is dave Chappelle, where um you know he's a black man from i think poverty i, I don't know exact upbringing from dc i think grew up poor maybe not i don't know exactly but someone who can just identify not take any hormones or have any surgeries or anything, but identify as transgender or non-binary or whatever it is. Well, they just ascend to the top of the grid can't be touched. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that is uh, where this is going. So I do think gender is the new 
is going to be yeah. the new, um, which I, I also believe, and I don't know if you want to end on the, I think we're headed <laughs> towards a, a transracial. I think that is coming. I think we're already starting to see it, but. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. we're seeing trans disabled too, which. Like, oh, like people saying with, they're like disabled and not. Disabling themselves. People f- formally mm. 100% able. Yeah having themselves disabled so that they can be disabled how like they're physically doing it mm -hmm. or like they're just identifying no they're physically doing it oh my god that's terrifying (laughs) yeah i I, I didn't know any of that i thought it was more like anxiety which a lot of people do deal with and it can be serious right but it's not autism it's not um, i have generalized anxiety disorder i'm I'm incredibly high functioning anxiety sufferer and um i like yeah it's 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 a hurdle i have to jump over but so was being learning disabled i mean yeah there i it's not I, ms I, yeah, like it, yeah and i think that is the new thing where it's and we're just, you're seeing this a lot with like athletes and stuff like that well i don't want to talk to the media because of my anxiety it's like well okay like you can't question this kind of stuff right like yeah. it's just like you can't question these sorts of things well um, and when it comes know. to to mental issues like that like emotional issues like neuroses uh, mm. like generalized anxiety disorder, my thought is we're not supposed to not try to overcome it. That's not how it right. works. Right. Like I've spent my entire adult life trying to overcome it and mm-hmm. felt accomplished in having done so. I'm not saying that it was easy, nor am I saying that it was impossible. <laughs> and, yeah, but well, I'm saying I should try at the very least. Sure. And I think, and I think you are, we are seeing a backlash to this whole concept of, well, victimization has a value to it now. And a lot of parents are pissed off about that because they teach their mm-hmm. kids who are usually, a lot of them are from either poor and or minority backgrounds to be resilient, to work yeah. hard, to overcome these obstacles where their teachers are saying, no, you're oppressed, you're victims, all of that. And the parents mm-hmm. are like, what the fuck? Like, that's not what I've been teaching my child. Yeah. Um, that's so. not what I was taught. Like as a no, kid, it's what, I, no, no, any of us were taught. Like, and I was, and it, I was learning disabled, and it was never mm-hmm. a thing where it was like, well, then you're never going to be successful. That was yeah. never like on the table. It was like you work hard, you overcome it, and yeah. you're still successful. In fact, it, it, isn't it sweeter that you did it even with your hurdles? Yes, right. actually, yeah. yes. I mean, that, that used to be like the <laughs> um, who was it? Who wrote all the? Uh, like the American story, right? The like the uh, American dream, kind of. Yeah, but who wrote? Like, there's Horatio Alger. Wrote oh all yeah. Those, yeah, he wrote all those stories about like overcoming obstacles, and yeah, some of it can be corny or whatever. And <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't believe I don't believe in this. The like, oh, pick yourself up by your boots. No, that's not true at all. It's not based in reality. There, people are given different circumstances and dealt mm-hmm. different hands, and there needs a lot of people need help. But like, there is something also to that. In the, it should be both. Like you yes. should work hard and try to overcome that. And also like we should recognize that people come from different circumstances and given different obstacles and that's fine too. Um, well, and, it, and that's the thing too, is that it's not as if with my learning disability specifically that I didn't have help, that people didn't recognize I had a learning disability and did stuff to help me overcome it. That mm-hmm. is a real thing. Yeah. And that is, sh- that is something that should be done, especially in education. Like, yeah, yeah I'm not saying that like, just do it. That's not what I'm saying yeah. either. So right. like there, there is a middle ground here. And, um, and I, I don't think that I'm like, I think that this is hitting writing, especially 
fiction writing especially hard. I, I feel like it's creative writing is essentially like in the traditional publishing route, freaking wiped clean of yeah. any kind of bravery or sense of strength. Or and, and I think people think like, I think so many people believe that they're being like you said, brave, but they're, they're not like, cause they're getting um, support and bolstered from their professors or, or writing workshop teachers and from their peers and everything. Cause it's all, it's not about the quality anymore. It's simply speaking your truth. It's mm-hmm. simply your quote unquote lived experience, which is a redundant statement. I can't stand because um, <laughs> you can't have an experience if it's not lived. Like you live your experience. It's no other type of experience at this point in our consciousness. Like that doesn't yeah. make sense. Maybe one day we will have that technology. Yes, but that doesn't exist yet. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I can't stand that term. But, but yes, they, they use the and if it's like, well, if this person writes this story, regardless of quality, if it's their lived experience, quotes, then okay, put it out there. Great. Like, no, that's not like one, it's it's patronizing to the writer and to the group, and two, it's putting out like less qualified work. Oh, that, yeah. where we all suffer from it because we're we're not getting the best the best possible art. I think it's I, I and I do think the the literary reading world is doing that, you know. Thank you for confirming my Yeah, thoughts. it's the confirmation claps. It's yes, yeah. you're saying the thing I like. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I was in a book club with a with a contemporary lit and it was like that. It was like oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> I know we're I know I, I don't know if we are whatever you want to st- Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do I do want to see what do you think of like in my uh, in my lived experience in my experience, <laughs> um, I do you know I have a fuck uh, what's it called email list and things so mm-hmm. like I and I notice um, and also just from anecdotally from friends and what I see out there the vast majority of my readers uh, at least on my email list are uh, based on their names female. And the vast majority of these book clubs I see and people reading who post about books, vast yeah. majority are female. Um, I, so I really don't know if men are reading as much. I mean, this men across races, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if part of that is because they've been told all the time that you're not interesting. Your story's been told all of that. Or there maybe there's something more biological there where men just are interested in other stuff. I, I, I don't know. But that I can definitely say is that when I see who is making book clubs? Who's on my email list? Who's leaving reviews for me? The vast, like, I'm talking sometimes 80 to 90% are, are, are female. Then um, that's, so half the population is, you know, you're missing out on half the population right there. And they, I think yeah. they're different. So I don't know. I, I just well, and I don't I think have I, anything I, to explain. This that, is just another, uh, this is another giant topic that maybe we should address at some point, because I yeah. do think, that there's an assault on masculinity culturally. So why would you read the major culture stuff when yeah. you're, when the things you value are not involved in it? So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, and honestly, I think that's uh, bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that's, a, I don't think it's a smart move from the publishing world. And I don't think it's a good idea to assault masculinity as an, mm-hmm. as a culture. I think it's a really dumb idea. Mm. <laughs> so um but that that would be a topic for an entire episode I, yeah, I, know, I, I agree 
<laughs> All right. So uh, thank you so much for joining me and talking to me. me. And, and, and the advice you gave for, you know, people who want to do the self-publishing route, I think that that's all really helpful information, especially that, you know, don't skip on those things. Probably a good idea. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> all right. So this has been 451 Degrees on the Unsafe Space Network. We are the All Censorship Podcast. If you could walk your fingers over to the like and subscribe buttons i would really appreciate it uh leave a comment below and uh I, we will see you next time <laughs> thanks for watching if you're new to the channel we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from mike cernovich to megan murphy so go check it out if you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and scheduled for ideological vaccination. To avoid cancellation, please update your ideological contact tracing app on your smart device immediately. Here's a fun fact. Only vaccinated Black Lives Matter. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science. Scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.